Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel. The podcast where I try to catch up Gabriel on things that I think are interesting about pop culture from those years where he was homeschooled and sheltered from the outside world. The year? 1994. The Netscape browser was launched and the computer cookies first appeared. The World Series was canceled because of Major League Baseball strike. Jeff. Ironic. Yeah. Jeff Bezos uh, launched Amazon.com. And the average price for a gallon of gas was $1.11. Where are you in 1994, Gabe? All right. 94. I, how old has that been? So I'm, I'm six, six or turning six, depending on when in the year, it's the year I turn six. And I imagine, I think this is probably the year that I ended up moving to my grandparents. Okay. So, uh, so I think, in, yeah. So I think initially I would have been in San Bernardino for, for part of this year. I don't remember when in the year it happened, but I feel like this is probably the time, the time that it happened. So, okay. Correctly. Yeah. Right. So I moved. Uh, this this was a momentous year. If I'm getting it right. Um, ninety four for me. I believe I am in uh, middle school. I believe I'm living in uh, mid city off of Fourteenth Street. You know, shout out to Western and Pico. And um, yeah, I think uh, you know, um, teen. You know, uh, there's not much I can say about those years because there was some experimental stuff going on and stuff, you know, stuff, stuff, stuff. Anyway, I'm being a teenager. I'm in middle school. I'm going to Bancroft Middle School, which is a very odd on Las Palmas. I still remember these streets, by the way, between uh, Merrill's Avenue and and Santa Monica. Iconic. And uh, but I remember that the, the middle school, right? So I would get off the bus on Santa Monica and Las Palmas, and then I would walk down Las Palmas, and then you were walking through houses. And then in the middle of this middle school was there. No no grass field, only concrete field. So, yeah, so like the baseball field was concrete. Uh, basketball. Oh, don't slide home. Don't slide home. Ba- and, but nobody actually ever played baseball uh, because obviously, you know, concrete baseball field. And uh, basketball courts, I think. But we ended up using the wall for handball, like old school, you know, uh, prison style handball. But yeah, other than that, that was it. 94 was a heck of a year. So let's start with one of my favorite scenes in this iconic movie that we're both going to obviously know. But I just want to play the scene because this is my this is um, this is our podcast and we can do whatever we want on it. And true production. <laughs> Want some bacon? No, man, I don't eat pork. Are you Jewish? No, I ain't Jewish. I just don't dig on swine, that's all. Why not? Pigs are filthy animals. I don't eat filthy animals. Yeah, but bacon tastes good. Pork chops taste good. Hey, sewer rat may taste like pumpkin pie, but I'd never know because I wouldn't eat the filthy motherfuckers. Pigs sleep and root and shit. That's a filthy animal. I ain't eat nothing ain't got sense enough to disregard its own feces. How about a dog? Dog eats his own feces. I don't eat dog either. Yeah, but do you consider a dog to be a filthy animal? I wouldn't go so far as to call a dog filthy, but they're definitely dirty. But dogs got personality. Personality goes a long way. Uh, so by that rationale, if a pig had a better personality, he'd cease to be a filthy animal. Is that true? Well, we have to be talking about one charming motherfucking pig. <laughs> I mean, he had to be ten times more charming than that arm on green anchors, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Pulp Fiction comes out in 1994. That makes it a real good year. It's oh no, I'm telling you, this year, oof, so far. I I think I picked the best of the best for this episode. But tell me about Pulp Fiction. That would be, I want to say the second. I think I saw Reservoir Dogs first. My buddy introduced me to to Tarantino movies, and where Reservoir Dogs. I, I, whatever age I was at at the time, I told you that that ear scene like creeped me out. 
Like right. I can appreciate it as a, a more mature adult. I, nothing bugged me in Pulp Fiction. I just therefore since been enshrined as like my favorite Tarantino. Like there's there's been one since that I've I've very, really liked, but like I, Pulp felt like the like the the best introduction to you know Tarantino style. That's just my favorite one since. Like there's so many scenes much like what we listen to that are just so good so good i mean the dance so good. The, uh, yeah the dance the mr wolf the um royale with cheese you know you know very quotable I mean, a transitional point in my life <laughs> very much so <laughs> so for those listening uh written and directed by quentin tarantino his second his second movie that he directed but third movie that that uh is credited for as being a writer uh starring john travolta samuel Action Jackson, Bruce Willis, Tim Roth. I think this was between this and Reservoir Dogs. I think this was my introduction to Tim Roth, Ving Rhames, and Uma Thurman. It was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture and one Best Original Screenplay. Eight million dollar budget and went on to make over two hundred million worldwide. Just a powerhouse, you know. And it it opened the door for Tarantino and you know, a bunch of indie films through Merrimax, right? And, and uh, the Weinstein brothers, who, you know, unfortunately they are what they are now, but not back then. Okay, no, they were probably the same back then. Not, you know, what they are now. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I'm with you. I think every Tarantino movie is unique and different, but so yeah. good in its way. Like when I think, like right now, the one that has resonated to me with me the most and the one that's the most recent was, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, that movie... I'm, I'm going to watch that this week because I I've, haven't seen it yet. I've seen it so many times, dude. I've seen I it twice. I'm going to do that this week. I've seen it twice this year alone, I think. It's just such a really good movie. And again, I'm from LA, I, I've so heard it helps. And, and I'm sure it is. But because, then... Oh, and I was going to say, I'm sure it is. Be, like, I've heard that so much, but then, I mean... Sometimes you know you hear that about something and you're like yeah 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 but like I've heard that and it's you know it's got the, it's got the chops to back it up so I it does it. it does and I'm telling you and I appreciate every other movie the only other standout for me besides Pulp Fiction is Death Proof I'm a big fan of Death Proof and that has a lot to do with the with the cast and the cars the car chases oof so good and Kurt Russell so good in that I appreciate the Hateful Eight a lot be, just because of how contrary to most westerns mm. like it presents this you're just like yeah that's yeah that would happen like everybody's like just screwing each other up and like it just being awful because you're like you know like the 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 classic hollywood presentation of the western with the you know the lone gunman and going out in the street like no nah, that didn't like people shooting each other in the back and be, being pretty being assholes the whole time. it's kind of kind of it's that makes sense. It makes sense. So you could be like, all right, yeah, I, I could see this actually happening. That's funny. Here's here's a funny one. The story that I heard at some point I read that pops up about Pulp Fiction that I always think of now with it that, that is very funny to me. So according to Samuel Jackson, the jerry curls that are iconic for uh, his character in that are was an accident. Like that wasn't the intended style. When an assistant was sent, like I think... Tarantino originally wanted um, to go kind of black exploitation kind of view and do the big afro, so and you know really juxtapose him with his slick slick haired um, partner in crime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it and when he sent the guy out, the assistant to go get it, the, the guy didn't know what he was getting. He just you know went out to get the wig and kind of was like, okay, this is I think this is it. Like didn't know the hairstyle, and so he brought back a Jericho, which Samuel Jackson thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and said yes that i'm doing that and so it stuck so you know what the funny thing is i remember seeing the um the original promotional work for the film some of the posters mm -hmm. and they had samuel jackson without the wig and he has just his natural hair uh and so i think it was one of those i like i it kind of backs your story where maybe they were trying to figure out what the look was going to be um, but if you look at some early promotional stuff, it's just Samuel Jackson's uh, normal hair before the wig. How about that? Interesting. But yeah, that that was funny because I could just I, and again, it fits with what we have seen and learned about Samuel Jackson, you know. So like he would definitely just be like, "This is this is funny. I like this." Yeah. All right. Yeah. The next movie we'll talk about is uh, something that's on your list and has been on your list, and still I don't know why you haven't watched it. 
The Shawshank Redemption comes out in 1994. I mean, have you seen what's happening in the world now? Like, like I need more reasons to be sad. But it's a happy ending, not to spoil uh, it. <laughs> I mean, yes, but still. Written and directed by Frank Darmont. Uh, written, I mean, by uh, written the screenplay based on a, on a Stephen King short story. Nominated for seven Academy Awards. Okay. So, best picture, best actor, best adapted screenplay, best cinematography, best film editing, best sound, and best original score. It did not win in any kind of category, which is Damn. shocking. But then again, if we, we just talked about Pulp Fiction, who also had seven nominations. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we know who he lost to, but... Yeah, I mean, I, there's not much I can say about this. It's it's an incredible cast. Uh, Tim Robbins and and um, and uh, Morgan Freeman are exceptional in this. There's um, you know a little tidbit in the book in the novella. Morgan Freeman's character is a white, red hair Irish guy, but and and that's why in the movie and in the uh, he they 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 call him Red because that was the name of, that was his nickname in prison, and they're like sense. oh. We're going to change the character, but we're going to leave the name. So, you know. Yeah. Can you imagine that being narrated by an Irish Anyone guy else? instead? Oh. You know? Oh, would, man. Would not hit the same, I feel like. I I am going to write this down, but I'm going to look for this online. I imagine somebody must have. Oh, I Gone hope. the original character? If somebody didn't, oh, my God, I hope so. It's an opportunity. Next movie we're going to talk about another. I'm getting again. Look, I picked the top of the uh, of, of the list for this one, dude. Ninety four also has the movie Leon the Professional. Uh right. English uh, English French action thriller written and directed by Luc Besson, uh, stars Jean Reno or Jean Reno and Gary Oldman, and it features the film debut of a twelve year old Natalie Portman. A sixteen million dollar movie went on to make forty five. It was not like uh, it was not supposed to be a big uh, explosive movie just because of like the international part of it. But oh my god, this movie is influenced a lot. Exceptional, exceptional. I mean, look, the uh, John Reno's career in the Americas blew up based on this, right? Natalie Portman is still like an amazing actress. The new Thor. Gary Oldman Show, still showing her chops early, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, it's she's she's actually quite the quite oh, the actress. She's such an amazing actress in this film. Such a good movie. Here's a little fun fact: Luc Besson actually wrote a sequel to this, right? But um, eventually, he ended up starting his own studio, and the uh, his old bosses did not like that, so they kept the rights to. Leon the Professional very close to the chest and they would not allow for the, the sequel to be made. It, it was supposed to be years later, you know, as an adult, her, you know, her life. But here's the funny part. The movie Colombiana was also written by or co-written by him. And what he did was he basically kind of like put the story, put in. the story in <laughs> what she would have been. So I thought that was a cool little fact. Um, no, no, I love this film. The, 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 um, the storytelling, the acting, uh, the action, the grittiness, like it's, it's so, the relationship that gets built. Like they do so well with all of that. And Gary Oldman's character, man, that dude is hateable, lovable, everything. Uh, I have no qualms about this movie whatsoever. It's a, it's an exceptional movie. You know what's funny too is it's, it's. I, I saw the pop culture impact of that at a different level. So I played a lot of uh, Counter Strike mm -hmm. when I was younger, and played a lot of mods for Counter Strike. And various things and uh a skin that would frequently pop up would be like leon the professional like that would, <laughs> like that made it into counter strike because it had enough of an influence and was like obviously the right fit for a shooter thing that he would make it in as a character so, nice yeah that's cool yeah my counter strike years were always just the you know the the Base the uniforms yeah yeah <laughs> i played all kinds of mods and changes and things for that unreal yeah. tournament and stuff too and like whenever people went like with realistic shooter stuff you'd see certain characters pop up <laughs> you know regularly you'd have uh uh caster troy's pistols would show up a lot as would caster nice. troy there's a um, um, yeah it's funny you say that because because i mean his look is very iconic right the little mm -hmm. the little hoodie the little round uh sunglasses mm -hmm. 
which with with crappy graphics of the day, the little round glasses was most of how you knew. Oh, that that was your that was your thing. So there's a guy that I follow on Instagram, right? Um, speaking of Instagram, everybody, uh, you can find us at Pop Culture Hangfire on Instagram. In case you want to um, uh, know when our when our uh, uh, new episodes come up, I will tell you right now that every we are consistent, if anything, and every one of our episodes always comes out on Friday. Come hell or high water, they come out on Friday. I'm going to say it's worth looking at just to see the art. You know what? Thank you, Gabe. I, I do quite good work when it comes to that. I'm not going to lie to you. There's a whole other side to this that you wouldn't know if you didn't go look, that there's art for each year that is tailored to the style. Gabe, it's fantastic. Gabe, you're going to make me blush. Stop it right now. But yeah, there's this guy that I follow, and I'll share the link with you now, and I'll tell everybody who it is as soon as I find it. We know your time is valuable. Thank you for holding. Someone will be with you as soon as possible. Thank you for your call. We appreciate your business and the opportunity to assist you. Please continue to hold. A representative is working hard to take your call just as soon as possible. Thank you for holding, everybody. So look up Fool's Paradise Toys. Uh, this individual, man or woman, don't know, does amazing work. I just shared it with Gabe. Gabe, what are your thoughts? That, that's real good. I, I especially the detail, the bomb arm as the right? silencer. That's and then that's the fantastic. and then the, the the flower that he's carrying. Like, <laughs> It's exceptional work. But yeah, Fool's Paradise Toys, everybody. It's uh, such a great toy maker uh, doing an amazing mashup between uh, Mario and uh, Leon the Professional. And on to our final movie, Clerks comes out in 1994. $27,000 film that went on to make $6 million. Yeah, no big deal. No big deal. I'm I, I, I'm sure I've mentioned it before. I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. I'm a, I, it's one of those ride or die kind of guys. Like everything he puts out, I will watch. I will listen to. I listen to at least three of his podcasts. And this movie is such a really great film that gives somebody like me inspiration, right? You don't need special effects. You just need people willing to believe in what you're doing. And you need to believe in what you're doing yourself. Like I think... It's one of those things where, like, I believe I'm amazing, so I'm going to be amazing. It's, and I believe I'm a screenwriter, or I'm a, I believe I'm a filmmaker, and I'm going to sell it to my friends, and they're going to help me do this. Uh, Clerks is, is hilarious, and I think it's one of those things where good, funny writing just trumps anything. If you have that going forward, uh, you, can do, you can do no wrong, and I think Clerks is one of those exceptional films when it comes to great writing. And, you know, for amateurs, great acting, too. I, I I recently rewatched Mallrats, not even a week ago. Jason Lee is is amazing. I just listened to a podcast where Kevin Smith was talking about he's written you know most of Clerks three already, so that's happening. And there's Fantastic. a there's a Mallrats two. I mean, you know what? The man has been able to build a career on his characters in the universe that he built, and good for him. I think he sh he can keep doing that for the rest of his life, and he's always gonna have my money. What about you? What are your thoughts on Clerks? No, yeah, the same. It's been so long. That's one I need to rewatch because that I, it's just been years and years. But I, I agree. Like, it doesn't. It's one of the things. Like, I think you sound like you're being a nostalgic boomer when you talk about it. How like ah, like now it's all special effects and all whatever. But like, there's examples of making so much out of so little, and that's that's 100% one of them. Like, the the people involved made it not the not the budget not the setting not the you know the money that went in there's something special about a project that does that a movie you know yeah yeah no uh, it's a it's a great film it's a great indie film and it it's a and you know what when you think about you know pulp fiction and you think about that like there was a boom between in the early 90s for indie projects like that and Merrimax uh, really did well funding and buying these films from these indie filmmakers and then giving them a, a you know a platform to be able to get out there it's funny too when you like if some of the stuff I'm sure we won't know the story and I don't know the specifics for these ones but like I've seen stories about the, like you know the, the back end kind of interaction whatever happened that caused that like whoever whatever 
you know, executive decided that they wanted to be involved in this or that they wanted to put the studio behind it and the things that lead to that happening when like it could just as easily not because you know bureaucracy it's probably not going to go for because that's not the safe bet that's not the big money you know yes some of those gambles pay off but they don't play gambles they do they play the numbers they do exactly so like when that happens and when there's a there's there's always a story about why yeah that's a good point Moving on to popular TV shows of 94, you have Seinfeld, ER, Home Improvement, Grace Under Fire, and again, Monday Night Football. One of these days, Monday Night Football. One of these days. <laughs> TV shows that ended. Gabe, does this theme song ring a bell? Two seconds in, yes. Two seconds in, yes. <laughs> What's um, funny is that I was introduced to Star Trek on the initial on, on you know, uh, William Shatner. Mm-hmm. Like, that was probably the first I saw. Like, I remember sometimes uh, I'd be up late at night and my mom might be up and she might have the TV on or something. And, and TV shows that would be on at that hour on, like, UPN 13 were MASH or Star Trek. Okay. <laughs> and there's the old Star Trek, you know? So that's how I saw that stuff. But later on, my dad liked to watch Next Generation. Like, he'd, he'd, he'd put that on the TV or whatever. And I, I get to see that. And I remember just, I don't know if it's a, I, I'm, I'm, uh, the right mix of, like, age, like, what age I was and imagination and, you know, just the way the show. But, like, it felt like what they were trying to present. Like, it felt like you were out five-year-old six-year-old me or whatever they felt like you were out there it, it it inspired that wonder for me so star trek the next generation's always been like that's 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 like my star trek and i agree with you like i i, I appreciate william shatner and the work that they did uh with the tv show and with the movies because that's really what kept it alive but uh my captain has always been uh captain picard i Cannot tell you what the beginning, middle, or end of this show was because every episode was same. I, I, the Borg, I think, is the only thing that like lived on from it. But when you think of Deep Space Nine, when you think of Discovery, when you think of all the other ones, they seem to have a uh, a synopsis on what you know. But this was very much they're just exploring because they had episodes where they traveled back in time in the thirties, like. All kinds of crazy. It was almost like the Orville, where every episode was different and leading up to something, but nothing really at the same time. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was on for seven years, and it ended in uh, in '94. Uh, such a such a great TV show. I actually um, I can't remember which platform it's on now. It's on one of the streaming platforms, and I actually, when I was doing that other gig where I was doing the kind of mindless computer stuff i went through a phase where i was just watching star trek next generation and i made it a couple seasons in which that was the first time i've ever made a concentrated effort to like watch them because like you said like i don't even have a clue what the time arc was for that show none whatsoever like and it's funny because there's so much stuff out there that's built on it that's fan made you know there's all these you know like it created a lot of uh, canon theories and like you know backstory and people trying to tie stuff together and figure out what's going on with q like youtube periodically pops up you know this is cube before that was a a awful thing to talk about this is star trek q um but like trying to say like ooh, who was he and where does he fit into some of this stuff because people are trying to still put the pieces together from what was presented no i'm I'm with you i think every episode you could you unless it's a two-parter you could watch it stand alone and not have to worry about the rest yeah yeah which is part of i think the magic there because like when you're making a tv show at that point still like it's not easy to for anyone to capture in that era right yeah, you could record on VHS. Yeah, there's probably some collections that are, were sold at that time on VHS, but how easy was that to do? It wasn't. So making them digestible in single sittings is super important to its success. Yeah, and this was a this was a an hour format, right? Like forty two minute mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah, yep. no, it was fantastic. I, I used to I used to really enjoy it. I never got into any of the other ones except for this one. Speaking of Pulp Fiction, and speaking of Arnold and U.S. Acres, uh, connection. 
Garfield and Friends after six years ends in uh, 1994. And again, I connected this because the one pig with a personality that he references. <laughs> and, it, and then you know what? It all connects, right? If you're writing this film, say he's writing this film in 1990, right? That means that the Garfield and Friends show has been on for two years and he's a fan. And honestly, the Garfield and Friends show I used to watch. And the Garfield and the Odie stuff was great, but whenever they had the U.S. Acres with the the crazy duck and the Arnold, the super literate uh, pig who who could spend hours and days and months just reading a book, um, was was, a, was an exceptional character. So, uh, did you ever watch uh, Garfield and Friends? Sporadically, I've seen some of it, but I, I it was not at a point where I could uh, watch it regularly. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, I think, and I've tried rewatching it. U.S. Acres is always my favorite part. Garfield didn't do much. He really did not no. do much. Which is fair, given the, what the character is. He's not supposed a, to do an much. An accurate yeah. representation. That's true, that's true. Next show that ended in 94, uh, Dinosaurs. Uh, on for three years. Did you ever watch it, or you know about it? I know about it. Well, Gabe, you're on a roll. So far, You, it's just been uh, Shawshank Redemption. Everything else you've actually uh, were aware of. So for those who aren't aware, Dinosaurs is a TV show about dinosaurs. What would they could be? When you oh, anthro- anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic. Thank you. Uh, so it's an anthropomorphic family set in 60 million BC in the world of Pangaea. For those of you who don't know what Pangaea is, you need to look it up. It's an interesting, interesting theory. But the show centers around the family, right? And I remember the main character's job, uh, and I forget his name, was to push trees down. <laughs> he was like, yeah, that was his job. He would push trees down for this construction <laughs> company. Um, and that was it. Uh, his best friend worked with him. And I think he hated his boss. Uh, it was a funny show. It really was. And you know what's Isn't funny? That- it ended with uh, the meteor uh, landing <laughs> in, in the earth. <laughs> That's awful. Didn't, uh, wasn't that the, isn't that the setup for like the Flintstones? Like, don't they work in construction and don't they hate their boss? Yes. Is this all people can think of? But in the, Flint, back but in the Flintstones, remember, they're, they're riding the, the dinosaurs and the dinosaurs are their, their yeah, man servants. No, no. That's a, that's an evolution later on in, yeah, the, yeah, in yeah. the timeline, obviously. But like, man, like they were just like, what do people, what do people slash dinosaurs do for work? I mean, construction's constantly got to be a thing, right? I mean. Who likes their boss in construction? Apparently no one. No one. So that ended after three years. Um, now here's another. Here's this is a deep cut. I remember watching this show and I remember enjoying it. Herman's Head. Does this ring a bell at all? No. On for three seasons, and it was about a character named Herman Brooks. And from an outward appearance, he was just a regular guy. But what made the show interesting is that as a viewer, you were shown what was happening in his head as he struggled with uh with his personality traits right so his anxiety was was characterized by one actor um his anger was characterized by one actor his love was characterized by one actor so whenever something happened in the real world you would go into his head and you would see them arguing about how to react to a situation or how to answer everything it was a comedy show it was actually really funny herman's head and literally like it was about a show about what happened in his head it sounds like, uh, oh darn, what's that Pixar one called now? Oh, um, with the blue on it, right? Uh, the different colors and blah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, emotions. Wow, that's. Oh no! Uh, inside out, inside out. There you go. Very much like that. Yeah, actually, yeah. That, that conceptually, was just, yes, just the way you've explained it. Conceptually, I'm just like, oh, that seems. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's huh. it. Shows that started in '94, uh, Friends on for 10 seasons i never was a fan i never got into it yeah i think i think as an adult now and i think everybody in the internet has always said the same question how the hell were they able to afford that that uh that apartment right. <laughs> and what did they do for a living uh, no, you know affordability was a problem even then depending on the situation <laughs> yeah yeah no it's a, uh, you know uh, yeah so but again because of the impact uh, that it had on television we bring it up but i was not a fan i never watched it that was never my thing I think, ironically, none of my friends were ever into it, and therefore it was never... Because, like, Seinfeld was something that people I knew liked, 
and like my dad was into it so that, that's something i went back for whereas nobody ever in my immediate circle was like friends you got it so i never i never looked back hmm. uh the next show we'll talk about is spider-man the animated show on for four years i really liked this spider-man it was cool. It, it, it was also the best version of Spider-Man so far up to that point. Because remember, before this, we had had those 80s hack TV movies. And we had had the Spider-Man and Friends, like 70s, 80s cartoon. So this was actually really good. It was it was really well done. I remember that this Sam Raimi was heavily inspired by this TV show for, for some yep. of the concepts that he did in the movie. And I also remember that this is the show that at the season finale, the final two episodes, they went and broached the subject of uh, the multiverse and the Spider-Verse, which then was added into comic book lore, which later becomes, you know, into the Spider-Verse. So, um, yeah, that was a good show. I liked it. I watched a like little YouTube documentary where someone who's super into comics and, and cartoon stuff did a breakdown and they talked about like all the things that that this version of the spider-man show tackled and up to the point and the, and the way like you know they had to they had to modify some stuff for tv because there were some really weird tv rules in the 90s um like you couldn't have uh morbius like suck blood so he, <laughs> oh, was so he had plasma. to suck plasma right yeah yeah that was their workaround because you couldn't have blood you couldn't have him be so they were like well what the hell and they were like it's so like ridiculous to look at him being like plasma and like yelling about plasma constantly which is like you know would people even really at that point most people uh, make the connection it was but there's some funny tv rules they had to work around the sinister six or something that like you couldn't call him that i think really so you had to they had to come up with some other name that was like goofier I can't remember what it was now, but yeah, I watched a, a little breakdown where this guy talked about all this stuff and how, but despite all of the roadblocks that they had to work around for weird nineties TV rules for, you know, kids, they were able to craft something that was, you know, still told like a, a, a coherent story and was, and, and tackled the themes and some of the serious things that Spider-Man dealt with. Like that guy gets his heart broken like three or four times in that, in that series. Yeah. And has to deal with some really traumatic stuff. That's interesting, dude. I'm gonna have to look that up. Um, it Sp sounds that's cool. also, I think that's also, is it on Disney Plus now or something? You can watch that again. Like the whole series is available online. I, I know. Oh, okay. So that's on my list to do along. You know, as I'm working through uh, X Men animated, I'm, I'm I'm in this era watching cartoons again. So that's fantastic, dude. I, I love it. I love it. Um, next show up is. So before the Ellen DeGeneres show, Ellen was a stand-up comedian, and she had gotten her own TV show uh, in uh, 1990. 1990. I don't know why I said it that way. But it was on for four years where she plays uh, her a character named Ellen, basically herself, who's like a little bit of a neurotic uh, bookstore owner who deals with her daily life through, you know, uh, comedic ramblings. Now, this was straight Ellen before she came out and everything like that, so... Uh, I remember watching this show, actually. I, I It was very much like the Drew Carey show. It was, it was that type of comedy, you know, like clean, you know, TGI Friday broadcast television, like nothing nothing crazy, no lesbian kiss, no coming out, no calling somebody a bitch or anything. You know, it was just, you know, playing. You only got to do that later. Yeah, yeah you, you, to, you don't get to do to that stir. later. Yeah, yeah, you don't get to do you that until that in your 90s, back pocket. Night, late 90s. But you yeah, know that, what I've just realized is the, is the arc for comedians in their career, their career arc? They go, go from being stand-up comedians, and then they get a show, and then they're sit-down comedians. Gabe, write that shit down, <laughs> and let's sell it to a comedian. Um, that is hilarious. That is hilarious. You know, That's speak, their arc. Think about all of them. Speaking of comedians, and I know we're not we're not a political show whatsoever, but with everything in politics that's come up. Um, George Carlin, old clips have been coming up because of how super relevant. Yes, he was 20, 30 years ago. And there's this great uh, back in the day, people used to comedians used to get HBO specials, you know, uh, for their comedy before Comedy Central, before, you know, Netflix, before all that stuff. And there's this uh, there's this comedy special that, they're, that, they're, that he had where he just starts right in on abortion. And I think the opening line is like, why is it that the people who care about abortion is people that nobody wants to fuck? 
That's an insightful comment. And the next seven to eight minutes are some of the most prolific things that a comedian can say about abortion and the rights and all that stuff. Um, And again, I know we're not political, but, you know, it's it's relevant. And I think it's one of those things where you're like, come on, guys, this is this is ridiculous. Let's just let's just stop being stupid about this. Anyway, moving on. The Viper TV show. You ever hear about this one? It ended in uh, 94 after five years. No. So, do you recall the the Dodge Viper, the car? Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> Gabe's reaching for something. Nice. My Punisher Dodge Viper that I've had since I was a, a pretty young. I, just, I wanted it because it was cool. Oh yeah, well, you think you're the only one who can pull cars out of within reach? <laughs> within reach of your desk? <laughs> Not at all. Eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For those of you who can't see, which is all of you, it's a Batman Hot Wheels uh, 1992, the animated series Batmobile. Love this. And that's me almost dropping. Anyway, so back in 1990s, the Chrysler Corporation, instead of branding to make toys, they branded to, to sell a car. And they, made, they built a TV show around the Dodge Viper and how it was like a supercar. Imagine the... They're ev- not wrong. Imagine the evolution of like Knight Rider, the kit car, the Camaro, into like the modern one in the 90s. It would have been the Dodge Viper. It was actually a cool show because when it wasn't fighting crime, it was a different color. But the minute it went to, into like crime mode, crime fighting mode, it would change color so that you knew it was like go time. Oh, man. It was a, the rest was, of the time, it was just a monster of a car. It was a it was a interesting show, but I always thought of it as like, oh, this is Knight Rider except with a Dodge Viper, and then it was like, oh, this is how you get this car sold. <laughs> the only time I think that I saw a Dodge Viper in person, other than the occasional you'd see on like the road somewhere in California, you'd be like, oh wow, a Dodge Viper. Weirdly, I was at my Toyota dealership one time for service, like my car's getting you know maintenance done, and in the showroom they had for resale. Why a Toyota dealer? I have no idea. And how this fits your market, again, no idea. <laughs> They've got in the showroom this Dodge Viper for sale. So, like, I walked all around that thing and was just like, wow, this is a... It's, it's a gorgeous car. A, it's a gorgeous uh, It car. is, and possibly the pinnacle of American-made supercars, because we kind of got out of that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, yeah, so there was a t- whole TV show dedicated to a... I, I had no idea. A car that fought crime. I'll send you I'll send you the trailer later. I need to see that. Moving on to deaths. Gabe, I got to tell you man, fuck. And and sorry for those of you who don't curse, but fuck what a year to lose some of these people, man. Holy shit. Like people that for still the ups, are downs. People that still affect me now. Let's start with the big one. The big one for everyone, not just for me, right? So Kurt Cobain passes oh. away in 94 at the age of 27. Uh, due to suicide obviously everyone here knows who Kirk, there's no there's no need to explain or introduce who Kirk Cobain was but the um the impact he had on music uh the impact he had on the people around him you know the fact that his daughter's like in her mid-20s now is re- it's just insane part of the 27 club um yeah. yeah I was I was a fan of Nirvana at the time that I was I was very lucky to like I almost got to see them live in LA Almost never got to see them live. I had a friend. This is how far back I go. I had a friend in junior high, right? Who I was a fan. He was an even bigger fan. And to the point where I remember this distinctly because we stayed friends uh, up until our early 20s. And he had his yearbook. And in his yearbook from junior high, I had put in there, uh, you know, to Adolfo. And I, I, I even made a comment somewhere in there that said like nerd, N-E-R-D. Vana fan <laughs> because this guy lived and breathed Nirvana well at the time I was just a fan like I was like mm, you know they're Nirvana but yeah then the Utero album came out and then um, Unplugged came out and I was just like what an amazing band and then unfortunately or actually Unplugged came out and then in Utero uh, and then unfortunately he passed and uh, left uh, you know a gaping hole that you know, Foo Fighters uh, filled a little bit, and then, you know, that happened, too. So, uh, yeah, Kurt Cobain passed away 
the influence going forward like that was like some of my early like experience with local rock radio like nirvana regular fe regularly featured you know so you'd, you'd still be there i think my my favorite thing that i only got to see recently with cobain was his reaction to ticket prices oh yeah yes what other bands were charging <laughs> <laughs> it's like kurt cobain's all of us there he is and I will recommend, look, besides recommending Unplugged and every single album they have, Live at the Reading Festival is, like, look, Live at the Whiskey, the official really released one and all those other ones. No, right. Was it Live at the Muddy Banks of the River of the Whiskey? Whatever. No. Um, the unofficial release, Live at the Reading Festival, is Nirvana at their peak. It's a, it's a phenomenal album uh, or a phenomenal performance that was luckily recorded. That I highly recommend for everybody to listen, as well as Unplugged and everything else they did. Another one that's incredibly close to me because he is by far my favorite author, poet, uh, and spirit animal. Charles Bukowski passed away in 1994 at the age of 73 from leukemia. Now, I am so I, I, I started getting into him after he passed was the unfortunate thing. Because I lived in L.A. and I would have been able to go to his house. <laughs> mm. um, I've made the trek to his apartments and stuff like that because, again, he was never he was never shy about saying where he lived. I, again, to this day, like there isn't a month or a week, I mean, a month or a year where I don't read a poem or read one of his books. Uh, you know, I currently have almost an entire shelf dedicated to him. Uh, he's just. He's, he's just one one of my favorites and and I there's no reason behind it he I just connect I connect to the fact that somebody can just write what's in their mind and and you know the other thing about it is is like it's one of those things and I think I the other reason why I relate with him a lot is like I don't need to, like we've talked about this right the arrogance of having to create like I don't Nobody needs this in the world. Nobody needs my writings, my my dog doodles or drawings, my calligraphy. Nobody needs this podcast. But if it doesn't come, like he says, if it doesn't come out of you raging like a fucking, you know, like a like a wave of 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 need, don't do it. You know, nobody cares. But if you have to do it, do it. That's it. Like that. It. It. it uh, I'm paraphrasing him in the worst possible way, especially in a moment when I should be praising him. But at the end of the day, though, it was like, if if it doesn't come rushing out of you, don't do it. Don't try to impress. Don't try to do it for someone else. If you have to check with someone else, don't do it. No, it has to come out of you, and that's the life that I live, and that's how I relate and connect to this man. In in my much more limited exposure to his works and his his um, quotations, I feel like so like you know how some people when they create their art or do their thing they make something that's just transcend like they make something that's like elevated and transcendent. I feel like he just elevated and made transcendent the very human aspects of things and 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 the very human perspective by the way he presented it. Like it it just it's because it's so relatable, you know because it's just it connects that way that's my experience with with his work yeah and I, and I will I will make one one fine clarification because unfortunately it's the most quoted thing about him and it's like um do what you love and let it kill you or whatever it is that actually isn't by him that's not his quote I just want to yep. put that out there it isn't it was not it was never his quote he never put it anywhere I just want to clear that up but do what you love and let it kill you whatever no it is not his, okay? His, and I have, because I have actually, I have a little a little wall here with just a couple of his works. His is more like, um, we are here to drink beer and live our lives so well that death will tremble to take us. <laughs> that's that's Bukowski, that is. So he passed away See? in 94. You know what I mean? That's very, he took something and elevated it. Took something human. He didn't make something up here. And <laughs> he took something very human. Uh, our next death, uh, again, uh, you know, uh, just a, a hell of a year for deaths. Uh, John Candy passes away at the age of 43 from a heart attack. I was an enormous fan of John Candy. Like his, everything he did was funny to me. E like uh, Stripes, you know, uh, planes, trains, and automobiles, Uncle Buck, Home Alone. I mean, the scene he had in Home Alone, like... Um, 
the dude was just just so so good at the work that he did it's so funny and seems so genuine and everybody nothing no one ever says anything negative about him he yeah. was his comedic timing everything he's such an amazing amazing actor and the last person we'll talk about which you know this will relate to you a little bit do you know do you know Burt Lancaster yep i love me some burt lancaster and doing the research on him made me love this man so much more. Now, I'm a huge fan of his because of From Here to Eternity. That is an exceptional movie. And his acting in that movie is exceptional. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend you watch him. But he's an American actor, uh, produced a couple things. Originally, he was known for playing like the tough guys with like the soft hearts, you know? And then, uh, he went on to, you know, get a lot more success, uh, through more complex and challenging roles. He was, I think he acted for like 45 years. Um, and then later did some television. He was, uh, a four time, uh, nominee for, uh, the Oscar for best actor, eventually winning one. Surprisingly, he started his career as a circus performer from nine years old to 19. Wow, that I did not know. Yeah, then he got injured, joined the army after uh, because of World War II. A, a less demanding career. A less demanding career. Because of World War II, he joins the army. Then, after he gets out, he gets into Broadway and starts doing plays. Then he becomes an actual actor and eventually ends his career as an activist. He... He frequently spoke out in support of uh, racial uh, racism and and other minorities. He this this one got me that that was insane that's that he would do that. But he um he hosted a fundraiser for Martin Luther King Jr. ahead of the of the historic march on Washington uh, from 1963 that he himself also attended and marched on. Uh, and was one of the speakers at that. Wow. Right? He spoke out against uh, Vietnam. He was often a target of MV FBI investigations. I knew you were doing something right. <laughs> he, was, he was named in President Richard Nixon's uh, 1973 enemies list, quote unquote. Um, I mean, given the roles he played in movies, I don't think you'd want to be the enemy. Right? Uh, and, they didn't turn out too well. <laughs> In 1995, he joined the fight against AIDS after one of his fellow uh, actors, Rock Hudson, contracted the disease. You know, like just, I, I again, I knew him as an actor. I loved his work. Yeah. Finding out all this about him, I was like, holy cow. Like, again, From Here to Eternity, I think, is the top movie that I ever saw him in. I think second to that is uh, he played Wyatt Earp in the gunfight at the OK Corral. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was an exceptional actor, such a such a such a great great human being too. Incredible. Passed away after his third heart attack at the age of eighty. It took three to get him. It took three to get him. You got anything on the Bert? So I've I'm looking at the list of movies and I've seen a ton of these. Of he's course just, you he's have. More, he's one of those actors that showed up in the in an era of films I frequented. So you know I'm 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 used to seeing him in those uh, iconic tough guy roles. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a staple in that. He is. And, and like he was a big dude too. He was a had a good yeah. size, so he could be imposing and he could be that yeah. guy. So he was great. We are just about out of time, dude. Uh but I will I will end um the podcast with uh, uh a little bit of a, a hit song that came out in 1994 that I think we all know and love. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. Yeah, I like to Move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. Yeah, I like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I, I think like made remade popular by uh, was it the Madagascar movies? Yeah, I think that's that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Certain things are timeless, you know. Certain things are timeless. Uh, yeah, no. Cheryl Crow came out in '94. Um, damn it, I didn't want to go into this, but okay. Here's the thing. Mr. Jones with the Counting Crows came out in 94, and we'll close it with this story. A few years ago, uh, so my brother, my younger brother Sam, is an incredibly large fan of Counting Crows, right? So his birthday was coming up, and the Counting Crows were going to be in Vegas. 
So I got him tickets. I got him a pair of tickets for him and his girl. And um, as the date got closer, he's like, hey, I'm not going to be, she's not going to be able to make it out. I'm just going out there by myself. Do you want to come? I'm like, hell yeah. I am a huge, Mr. you know, Mr. Jones fan, Counting Crows fan. I think, you know, August and Everything After was a fantastic album. So we go see the show. Unfortunately, I effed up and I bought resale tickets. So when we got to the show, I was like, you know, it was like two months later. And I was like, oh, I got money again. I can just upgrade us to like nice, you know, like booths. But the the place was like, well, these are actually resale tickets. You didn't buy this from us. I'm like, God damn it. I fucked up. So anyway, great show. Uh, Adam Duritz is a really great storyteller. Like he breaks the songs down as he's singing them. Like fantastic, right? Hour and a half, these sons of bitches play. And they do not fucking play Mr. Jones. Okay. And they were, it was a, it was a show to like, uh, talk about their 20 years as, as artists and performance and how they got to where they got. And they don't play the fucking song that got them there. (sighs) Fucking counting crows. (laughs) That's funny when that happens. No, it's not Gabe. It isn't funny at all. It's funny in a, in a, in a not, in a not, not good way. No, it's just so like, I, I, I wonder, is it just, they're sick of the, the, the song. Like sometimes bands, you know, like they just, is it, they don't want it. Cause they're just like, ah, oh, that's that song. Like my most recent, uh, acknowledgement of that from a band was Dragon Force. Right. Mm-hmm. So of course their final song is their most popular, you know, guitar hero, all that stuff through the fire and flames. And the, the lead singer, right. Like right before he's like, how many of you came here just to hear this song? And of course everybody, everybody cheers. And he's like, Sons of bitches. <laughs> and then he starts playing it, right? And then he's like, all right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're supposed to fucking do. God damn it. Nobody cares about you, you now. It. Nobody cares about you now, County Crows. <laughs> we came here for 1994, Holmes. Uh, anyway. Anyway. But yeah, we're at time. Gabe, uh, final thoughts on 1994 so far? I mean, the highs were high and, and apparently the lows were low, man. Like, we lost some good ones. <sighs> we did. We did. What a what a what a jam packed year it was. Man. Like we say every year, we see the people that die, and you're like, ah, like you know, Betty White or ah, but like, man, I guess it just like that's just a theme. I just wasn't as aware of it, obviously, when I was you know six. Yeah, no, it's crazy. It really is. Um, all right, everybody, thank you for listening. Remember, find us at Pop Culture Hangfire on Instagram, and obviously. You know, if you're listening to us on Apple, you already know. But if you also have a friend who has uh, Spotify, you can find us there. And if you're listening on Spotify and you have a friend who has Apple, let them know. We're there, too. Hey, we'll see you next week, everybody.